All right, so I'm coming at you today from Romans 12, and uh, this is in the NASB. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that beautiful? I was thinking about so often when the, when the apostles would write these and then they would say, read this to all of the church. And it's always neat when we get to read through this, I think back of how we're a part of the, the whole church that's been from, from beginning until Christ comes and these same scriptures have been read all this time, bringing us together in Christ. I'm gonna read, uh, I'm gonna read it to you in, uh, in the message as well. I like the way, uh, the way that this lays out. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. I, I love this, your life is to be an offering. It's worship. Our lives, everything that we do is actually something that we can offer to the Lord in worship if we give it to him. Everything that we do is not worship unless we do it worshipfully. 
meaning that we look at what he's teaching. We allow these scriptures to shape the way that we think and the way that we act. But if we do that, and I know that we are, beloved, and may we do it all the more. May this word actually confront us in the areas where we're realizing, wow, I'm, I'm doing some of that, I'm not doing all of that. Well, praise God, after today, I believe you're going to be con- convicted by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you can say, oh, Lord, you know what? I'm not doing this part. Let me do that. Let me allow that scripture. Let me allow the word of, the, the word of God, the, the two-edged sword, go into my heart and check the motivations of my heart. And Lord, let me align myself with what you're saying as opposed to maybe what I'm experiencing or what my habits have been. Amen? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Say amen or say ouch. Right? That is a very timely warning for us right now, isn't it? You know, right now we're in a time and an age where we have this pseudo-love going on, right? We got love wins. And, and unfortunately, what it is is it's a counterfeit. It's this idea that if I affirm everything then that means I'm saying, I value you. I just affirm everything that you're doing and you do you and I'll do me and boy, that's just amazing. Isn't that cool how we love each other? But beloved, I want you to understand something. Jesus didn't come and die for the sins of the world while praying for his enemies to bring the confrontation of sin and the release of righteousness because he affirmed what was going on. He came because he loved us. And we need to understand right now in this day and age, may, this, may the Holy Spirit confront us through the scriptures right now that being affirming of everything that everyone wants to do is not love, it's indifference. It means I do not care that you're playing in traffic in the middle of the five. If that's what you want to do, go ahead and do that. The outcome doesn't matter to me as long as you feel free right now. That's not love, that's indifference. And we, we, need to be, we need to be engaged enough as, as carriers of the kingdom and as, as carriers of the good news of the gospel that eternal life is available through Christ Jesus. And God desires that none should perish but all should be saved. But it involves repenting, not affirming. Affirm value of people. Affirm the glory of God in one. Walk alongside them in their journey. But don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Amen? That's not love. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. I'm speaking to you out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relationship to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you don't misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Come on, I'm getting saved right now. Just listening to that. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to thank you, Lord, in front of this family right now that I am only the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what you did. We are only the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what you did, Lord. We receive that grace, and we just ask for more grace that we could live a life of gratitude in response, God. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for righteousness. Amen?
On, I'm sorry, in this way, we're like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. I love that. We get our meaning from being a part of the body. The body doesn't get its meaning for coming and being a part of us. <laughs> we're not the center of the universe. Somebody say, praise God. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message. Nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're, <laughs> if you're, I don't know if I'm confronted or if I'm thinking of a couple people, probably both. Anyway, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. That's a say law right there, huh? Don't get irritated or depressed. Right? Don't get weary in well-doing. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you received that? Love them from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive with hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. I like that. Get a, if you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not even for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, give him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Amen? Isn't that great? I love it. I want to laser in on just a couple of spots here. It's all so good, uh, but I want, to, I want to bring out a couple of thoughts here. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Come on. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. And here it is. Practice playing second fiddle. Try, in other words, try to outdo each other with submitting one to another. Practice playing second fiddle. What does that look like? I mean, what does that look like for you? Maybe it means 
letting someone else tell the funny stories and you don't have to come in and go, that ain't nothing. I'll tell you a real story, right? Yeah. Maybe it means joining a team that you're, that you're not the boss of. Whatever it is, what, what he's actually saying is, I want you to practice being a good friend that doesn't have to be in the first position all the time. With one another, like that you would maybe go to a study that you're not leading. Go help with a project that you're not leading. Maybe you'd work on someone else's project. Maybe you'd help promote someone else's uh, thing that they're working on. It's, it's not hard to get there, but it does take engaging, doesn't it? Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a preach right there. Don't quit. Just don't quit. That relationship that's really hard right now, don't quit it. Pray harder. Practice playing second fiddle. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Listen to this one. Be inventive in hospitality. Jason had a fantastic preach the other day where he used the term casual hospitality, which is such a great term. In fact, we've had a lot of great feedback from several of you that were like, I didn't even know that was okay. And more people have been getting invited over for lunch and dinner now because we said it's okay to have casual hospitality. In fact, to just share your real life. And I like this one. I think this fits right in with that flow. Be inventive in hospitality. What could that look like? I don't know, be inventive. It's, it's thinking about how could I make sure that the people that are around me, whether it's in the city or whether it's in this house, and it's both, by the way, how can I be inventive about showing hospitality? How can I be inventive about making sure that everyone knows that they're a part of the family, that they belong, that, that if they're not here, then we are broken because they're a part of who we are? How could I do that? What would that look like? Well, it would look like so many things. And the truth is, you have the mind of Christ, so you're going to come up with something cooler than, than what I would come up with if I tried to throw out a bunch of examples. But I love that language. Be inventive in hospitality. How can I include you? How can I meet people in this room that I worship with every Sunday, but I don't, I, I actually, there's people in this room that I've never spoken with. I don't know their name. I don't know their story. I don't know. Be inventive. You guys with me? Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. <laughs> Politics, anyone? First of all, those aren't your enemies. But if you do consider your en them your enemies, then pray all the more because the Lord says, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. Don't curse them under your breath. Jesus was so good at this that he actually died for his enemies, which is why we're here. How about that? Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Laugh with people who are laughing. Cry with those who are crying. This is something right now we're gonna go, we're gonna go and, 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 and in a sense, we're gonna go and, and weep with Jocelyn today at 1.30. We're gonna go and we're gonna say, we're really sorry this happened. And I think it'll probably result in some laughing and we'll laugh as well. 
But what it is, is it's noticing when people are affected around you and opening up your eyes to be able to see who's laughing and who's crying. You know, it actually costs us something. It, 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 okay, we just preached recently about where Jesus said, lift up your eyes, the fields are white for the harvest. And what was the implication? Was that there was people that were ready to come into the kingdom all around. But for Jesus' disciples at that point, they didn't expect that those people would be the kind of people that God would want in the kingdom. And so he had to say, you need to lift up your eyes and actually see. How many of the apostolic prayers say this? I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open. And these are for believers. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open. That you could see God, but also that we could see others. That we would see the opportunity that I have to extend the presence and the peace and the love and the tangible goodness of God to others. James says, if we say to someone, be well fed and blessed, but we do nothing, then our religion is worthless. So this is us actually saying, Holy Spirit, would you help me to lift up my eyes that I would see in my midst those that are laughing and I would laugh with them, those that are weeping and I would weep with them, those that are hungry today after service and I'd invite them to lunch. Are you guys with me? But, but this does actually take an application of will and the excuse of busyness is no excuse at all. It's important to ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me to lift up my eyes that I have time to laugh with people and time to cry with people? And if I've made my life so busy, God, that I'm not able to do the basic things in this life, then God help me that I would write a better schedule. You know, um, we had that earlier scripture and it said this, don't, don't, be, uh, don't be so, uh, what, what was it? Let me go back to it. Um, well, hang on. Don't be so, you know what, it's not working. It's in her somewhere. Uh, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. You know what our culture is? Our culture's busy. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh, good for you, you're so busy. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You just fit in real well with a busy culture. Awesome. That is morally neutral. It's probably morally wrong, but it's at very least morally neutral. It doesn't mean you're necessarily doing good stuff. Are you guys with me? I feel like I keep hitting that nail hard, don't I? I'm probably preaching to myself. I'm so guilty of this. Okay. But it's, it's just so vital. It takes us engaging with that. It takes us engaging with those that are around us. And this is a key thing. You know, it wasn't up until, I believe it was after Constantine, that things, um, that things changed in the church. And, and let, in fact, let me show you this. Uh, okay, I want to make one more point with this particular scripture. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Man, this punches us right in our cultural throat right here. We are like so celebrity conscious around here. Right in America, it's just like I was born to be great, and you will be following me. And I just knew this. I love King Julian. There's a cartoon, and it's very funny. At one point, he's on a stage, and he goes, "I always knew that it was my destiny to be in front of a whole bunch of people as they worshipped me." And it's like great, King Julian. Um, but in a way, in our celebrity conscious culture, so many of us take that same, we're so well adjusted to our culture, we fit right into it, we just slap Jesus' name on it and we're like, I'm here, Jesus has told me I'm a great leader and I'll be the leader of a great ministry, come, 
like my Facebook page, <laughs> follow me on Instagram, you know, and it's like, I'm waiting for you all to affirm my greatness, and, and uh, the scripture actually says, I want you to practice playing second fiddle. He who would be the greatest among you must become a slave. I want you to notice the person that's next to you. I want you to lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest, meaning there's someone in your life right now that Jesus is saying, I love them and I want you to see them. There's someone in this room right now that Jesus is saying, this person is supposed to be your friend and you don't even know their name yet because you're busy. Are you hearing that? I don't want to misrepresent Jesus. The sarcastic last part was from me, not Jesus. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. How many of you are confronted? You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of us are like, I need to be a great somebody. I don't have time. I'm working on being a great somebody. We, we church it up a little. We call it ministry. We call it whatever. But the truth is, that probably needs a little adjustment from you and the Holy Spirit. So we get to open our eyes up and say, Lord, I want to be engaged with what you're doing. Listen to this, uh, I started to say in the, in the early church. You see, we, we take communion every Sunday together to remember that sacrament of our faith and, um, and to remember what it is that Jesus did. And it's absolutely appropriate that we should. But I also want to encourage you to take communion in your homes all the time, every day. And I want to encourage you to have other people over and to eat a meal with them, and at the end of the meal or in the middle of the meal, take communion. Because up until, it was, it, was for, it was for so many years, there was no break. You see, it said, in fact, what does it say here? Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And when you see in the scriptures again and again and again, what they talk about is the love feasts that they would have their love feast. So what was amazing and unique about the love feast and about the people of God was that it didn't matter if you were a Jew, a Gentile, a slave, a ruler. It didn't matter what you were. You had a place at the table. Everyone in Christ is absolute peer and family. And what you would do is break bread one with another and you would remember the sacrament of the faith, which is the preaching of Jesus crucified, that they would take the bread and the wine, just like we're doing, but they're meeting in homes as well doing this. Do you see that? Now, something has shifted in our culture and we've compartmentalized that. And it's not wrong that we take communion together, right? It's absolutely beautiful and wonderful. But I'll tell you, it's not eating bread together in this room in the same sense as when I actually sit down and say, hey, come on over. We're going to have tri-tip because that's the best way meat glorifies Jesus. And then we're all, because we're going to, because we are one. When Jesus, when Jesus showed them that covenant, what were they doing? They weren't just having bread and wine. They were having a whole meal. And then he said, this is the bread. This is the wine. This is my blood. This is the covenant. Are you seeing that? Why am I bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because Romans 12 is the invitation for us to say, I see you. I'm going to associate with you because you're part of the body. Because God has given me an affection for you that's, that's unnatural. I don't have anything to gain by being with you. I love you because you're part of the family. Do you see that? And, and this is so vital and important for us. I, I just want to encourage again, really, what this, what's this message about? Practice hospitality. See one another. Live a life that has room that you could be the body. And when you come together, I just want you to see the power of what it is to come together into a home and to invite someone to sit at your table, to invite many someones, and to sit down and say, this is the body of Christ. 
It is transformative. It is incarnational. It's Christ is there in the midst. And I want you to be empowered and understand that when, when we do this, we're actually doing the scriptures. We're actually releasing the kingdom of heaven. We're a, we're a local church of powerful people who release heaven everywhere where we go. And you want to know one of, where, the, where one of those most powerful places are? It's around your table. When you invite people in. But you have to lift your eyes up and see those people. Look around. Many of them, you're not looking around. Look around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking around. I'm not doing that. Are you guys, are you guys hearing this? Is, is this good? Are you, can you receive that? All right. Let me, let me read a great, um, a great quote. Uh, this is from Shall We Dance? This is a movie. I think it was in the 90s. But uh, this is such a cool quote. We need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. What does anyone's life really mean? But you're promising to care about everything. The good things, the bad things, the terrible things, the mundane things, all of it, all the time, every day. You're saying your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will be your witness. We are created for relationship with God and with one another. And we all have to have a witness. We, we, and we get to be witnesses. We get to say, I see you. I see you in your great moments. I see you in your weak moments. <coughs> I see your faithfulness. And I see you in those moments when you're faithless. I'm here. I'm here to help you. You're not alone. You're not floating through this earth hoping that it matters, hoping that your life is connected to something. It's not just you and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. Are you with me? And so in this, with Romans 12, what I want to encourage everyone to do is to lift up your eyes and to see one another, to be inventive with hospitality. And on a very practical note, what I would like to encourage uh, each of us to do, one is when you come into this room, will you, will you help Jesus and, and, and our tribe, will you do this? Will you make it a point that when you come into this house, that if you ever see anyone that you personally have not met, go find somebody you have never talked with and simply come up and say, I'm going to use my name. My name is Joshua, and I don't think I've had the opportunity to meet you yet. And, and, and introduce yourself. And the second, could, would you, who would be willing to do that? Raise your hand if you'd be willing to do that. Okay, now I'm going to pray. Lord, I just want to ask that everybody in this house would be willing to do that. Now, raise your hand if you're willing to do that. That was not manipulative. It was just intense confrontation. All right. Yeah, please do, because here's the crazy thing. People come among us, and you can end up in a crowd and still be lonely. And when we assume that everybody has people, what happens is people go unwitnessed. Amen? And here's the second one, and Jason's alluded to it in the past, but I want you to be prayerfully asking the Lord, Lord, will you show me who it is that you're saying, I want you to see this person. I want you to invite this person over. I want you to become a friend to this person. One of my dearest friends is sitting in the back row. I have many dear friends, but one of my dear friends is sitting in the back row with his beautiful daughter, Rose. His name is Mark Willem. Before I came on as the pastor at Christ Center, and I'll finish with this, the Lord actually spoke to him. Yeah, I had to have a play date from God. And said, I want you to be a friend to the next pastor of Christ Center. He, he literally made Mark be my friend. And luck, you know, luckily, eventually it worked out. 
But now Mark, of course, he, he, says, he said that his response to the Lord was, oh, Lord, I hope he's not a dork. And I, he didn't get that part answered, but we are good friends. What I want you to understand out of that is, I mean, you do enjoy being my friend at this point, don't you, Mark? All right. What's the point? The point is I needed a good friend, and everybody in this house needs good friends. And I want you to ask the Lord, not for your assignment, that he would open your eyes up to see who that friend is. And it's more than one, but who are those people here that need to be eaten at your table? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to allow your word to come into us and bear fruit. Jesus, I ask that there would be a spirit of hospitality that comes over us from your heart, that we would see, that we would see the fields in our cities and in this house. Bless us, Lord, that we would be faithful to greet all the saints, as the scriptures tell us, greet the saints, and help us, Lord, to be faithful to see those friends that are your friends, but we have not yet seen them. Lord, show us who it is that's supposed to be eating at our table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer servant team is coming forward, and uh, I encourage you to please get prayer, get empowered, get blessed, get healed. That's what we're here for. God bless you guys. Have a great week.